0: welcome to hello universe a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives we're your co-hosts kylie and eva hello hello universe friends it's eva here it's Kylie. Welcome back, everyone. We are very excited about the guest that we have today, Joy Manning, um, because we talk about our rela- We all talk about our relationships with alcohol, which I think is uh, I can imagine is probably a pretty relevant thing for a lot of people out there listening right now. Um, but before we get into that, why don't we share a little bit about ourselves? Uh yeah. Kylie, How what's are you? Oh. going on with you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh you know it's a little bit like groundhog day over here you know doing the work hanging out with my wild and adorable children um you know we're we're busy it's good um you know what this weekend my new favorite ritual ever is um on saturdays my best friend in the whole world we've been best friends since we were like 11
0: wait what's her name give
1: her a shout out megan (laughs) orenberger Hey Megan. (laughs) Um, when, uh, when we were, yeah. So she lives like three miles away from me, which is also hilarious. Like, you know, just the way that we've just been intertwined for so long. Um, uh, she like, she is the kind of friend that I wish everyone in the world could have. Like Mm -hmm. she just is like, uh, She's the person I've cried about missing in quarantine, right? Oh. Like all of this is hard, mm-hmm. but like, like I was in therapy and I was like, and my best friend, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, so what we've been doing is, um, she comes over my house, my front yard, and I have these two lawn chairs set up like eight feet away.
0: Mm-hmm. She
1: sits in one chair and she's like, don't try to hug me, Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> and I sit in the other chair we just talk.
0: Oh, I love that. Two
1: hours every Saturday, the world feels a little more normal. Oh,
0: wow! Yeah, that's genius and really smart and simple. You know, simple. Um,
1: and yeah. So that is my. That's been really, really very healing.
0: I love that. Well, for me, Eva, I am actually planning a trip to California, which is crazy. Which sounds crazy to think about traveling during this time, but I. Let me sort of explain the situation. Um, so I'm in Arizona and my brother and his family are in California where I'm from and they've got two kids. They both are working from home. They have zero help because we don't have any other family and they're trying to quarantine from their grandparents who are at risk. So I think they're really kind of, as most parents are, I think they can understand. send them my love. Yeah. It's, I think it's, you know, a, they're going through it. And I freaking love my little nephews like so much. I would just, yeah, they're the best. I would do anything for them. And so, um, you know, I've been pretty good about all this quarantine stuff. I don't really go out and I see Adam, I I go to the store um, and feeling pretty safe. So I asked them if they would consider having me over because I wasn't sure if they wanted me over because maybe they wanted me to keep the distance and they both seem pretty enthusiastic about it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take that. as a sign that they might be able to, that they might need some, an extra set of hands or something. So getting in my car, making the drive, which I hate. I hate, I'm not a good driver. I'm I'm like, I, it's just a straight shot, but just, I don't love the drive. I don't love long six hour drive. So I'm just gonna listen to lots of podcasts and blast my music and hopefully get there in one piece and then hang out with my nephews for a week. Um, And I cannot freaking wait. I'm sure by the end of it, I'll be pretty happy to come home.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'll be intense and wonderful. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so I'm, I'm just really kind of gearing up for that kind of like cram as much work as I possibly can into this week so that I can just focus on being present next week. So mm. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about connecting with family. I think like it's just been me and Adam and like, yeah, I want, yeah. Oh I'm my sure. God. Asian food. Oh, I'm so excited about Asian food. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. I already have a list of what I want to eat gonna be vietnamese i'm gonna get some hong kong like oh like styled noodles and duck taiwanese food oh it's just gonna be amazing because arizona has not really i'm just gonna say it, they don't have great chinese food and L, like that area of la is just all chinese food so i am so excited for takeout oh, for takeout yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah uh well i'm sure as excited as you are your brother and sister-in-law are even more excited. I hope so. I hope so. To see you and to get some help. Yeah, I hope so. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah.
0: So that's updates with us. Um, Should I, oh, why don't you tell the people what you're working on?
1: Yeah. So we are in launch mode. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I I have a course and I am so excited about it. Um, You know, you probably heard me talk about it last week. Um, It is uh, all around Healing the stories that we tell ourselves and those beliefs that we hold dear that hold us back from the things that we want to experience and the things that we are dreaming of. So, um, in particular, a lot of the clients who were coming to me were um, people who are um, intuitive or you know feel like they might be intuitive um, or are healers or coaches of some kind, and you know, ha- and we carry these limiting beliefs like I'm not worthy. I don't trust myself, you know, who am I to think that I have this gift, and so we're going to work together in community, we're going to utilize the Akashic Records, we're going to meditate and journal and do all the things um, to let some of this stuff go, so we can walk forward a little bit lighter, because the world needs you right this minute to be empowered and working your magic in the world, so if that feels like you, or you feel like that might be you, then, uh, please come set up a 30-minute consult call with me. We'll talk through um, a little bit, answer any questions you have, you know, try to figure out if this might be a good fit for you. But I couldn't be more excited about it. Um, I feel like.
0: Yeah, and I trust Kylie so implicitly because she, this work is just so meaningful to her. Like, yeah, so I would highly recommend it. I just know that Kylie's such a genuine, authentic healer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you very
0: much. Yeah. So speaking of genuine, authentic healer, what do you have going on, Eva? Well, um, so I'm promoting my same four-week meditation and one-on-one coaching program, which I love, love, love. And I think it's a really relevant thing for right now. A lot of my clients who have started it are grateful to have this practice and the support in their lives. Um, so if meditation is something that you're interested in, whether you are um, new to meditation or even if you've been meditating for a long time and you just want to deep in your practice, uh, you can sign up to work with me there. Uh, I also have my longer uh, four-month bi-weekly coaching package, and this one's, I would say, a little bit less, uh, but it's not really focused on meditation at all, and it's more focused on mindset, and I wanted to read something that one of my clients wrote for me. (laughs) Um, It made me laugh out loud because I do think that this program is probably for people who may consider themselves more practical and less spiritually inclined. Um, this is what he wrote. My close-minded ideas around coaching have completely blown up. Eva's form of coaching isn't based on feeling energy from crystals. <laughs> it's more about <laughs> <laughs> it's more about learning how we can change our own lives by understanding how we react to everything going on around us. It taught me to accept myself with curiosity and love which while also teaching me skills to handle fear and shame so Mm -hmm. i thought that was literally i laughed out loud when i read that um because i am very into the spiritual but also my my coaching is like very practical and so this one particular person wasn't really into spirituality but i think he still got everything out of the program that he wanted to get because to me spirituality and mindset and like your unconscious beliefs to me it's all just the same thing so yeah yeah it feels like a very eva uh
1: referral in that one it's glowing but two (laughs) that yes, spirituality is practicality. Like for you, those are-
0: Yeah, they go the hand in hand. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're somebody who is interested in more long-term coaching, who wants to change some deep rooted behaviors, or if you just have like a big goal that you want to accomplish, um, you can sign up for a consult to learn more about my four-month program. And I'm offering a $100 discount on each of those programs. So if you're interested, hit me up on Instagram at badbitchliving.com, or you can just look it up on my website at Woo! Mm-hmm.
1: Yay. So now we will introduce our amazing
0: guest today. Yes. Okay. I'm very excited about this. I think this was a really fun and interesting conversation. Um, okay. Our guest today is Joy Manning. She's a freelance writer and podcaster focused on food and health. She's the editor of Edible Philly and co-host of Local Mouthful, the podcast. She's also an enthusiastic sober person and a closet mystic. (laughs) She says you can, (laughs) I know I love that. She says you can follow her food life on Instagram at Joy Manning and Local Mouthful. And for sober stuff, sober life stuff, check out Better Without Booze. And so we'll definitely link all of that at the end in the show notes.
1: And just Joy has such a wonderful, wise, calming energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just... I just felt so grateful for her perspective on on you know being a sober person and how that has been so expansive for her spiritual journey yeah,
0: um,
1: yeah. I think it's a really
0: beautiful
1: and I will also say it's a beautiful episode about a relationship with alcohol that I found really free of judgment
0: mm-hmm. and there's
1: just a lot of curiosity and openness um that I think is just i just i felt so refreshed,
0: yeah and so. I really wanted to have Joy on this podcast because I've had an interesting relationship with alcohol and also the people in my life had had an interesting relationship with alcohol. I think Kylie you can say the same. So we all talk about, you know, our own personal relationships with alcohol, but here's a person who yeah, who's like not necessarily in the program and she didn't even necess- she was she didn't, you know, would not be categorized as an alcoholic, but she just wanted to stop drinking. And when we first got in touch something that she said to me that I thought was so profound was she was like I asked her what you know her spiritual beliefs were or how what spirituality meant to her this is just us messaging back and forth on instagram and she said that she believed that alcohol was actually blocking her spirituality and i was like that's really interesting can you come on the podcast and talk about that um especially right now as people are in quarantine because i do know a couple people out there who are kind of struggling with alcohol maybe not that they're alcoholics but drinking more than they would like And again, it's not from a place of shame. It's like I do believe, like if you want to eat those cookies, if you want to eat that ice cream, drink those booze, you know, get those extra hours of sleep because that's that feels good to you, then do it. But if you are doing it and then like regretting doing it and being really unhappy about it, then um, I think that's I don't know. I think this podcast might be uh, helpful.
1: Yeah, and I found like just in a world where consumption of alcohol is is so the norm just hearing people
0: talk about a different story is so just powerful, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Just to have role models, you know, sometimes we just need to see that other people are doing it and that, oh, they're actually happy and it's like working. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
1: Exactly. And that you can then make your own path to whatever that, whatever that might be or whatever that might look like. Yeah.
0: Um, um, we're so excited to share this podcast with you. Let's get to it. So our guest today is Joy Manning. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us, Joy.
2: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So as you know, the first question that we always ask our guests is, what does spirituality mean to you and how does it show up in your everyday life?
2: I think that spirituality to me is sort of indistinguishable from everything else. it is life itself. Um, Everything we experience um, has a spiritual dimension to it. It's really just a matter of whether you are tuned into it or not. Mm So, I mean, for me, um, you know, having breakfast is spiritual. Um, Exercise is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Trying to treat my husband with uh, love, you know, and our interactions is spiritual. Uh, You know, right now we're in the throes of this coronavirus um, emergency. So, i find a sense of spiritual connectedness in reaching out to other people to make sure they're okay or you know just to tell them i'm thinking about them um, and you know i remember that to varying degrees depending on the day yeah <laughs> um, you know uh, but so i think there's that subtle way that it's uh, just interwoven into my whole life all the time but uh, some sort of like more um, obvious ways are you know prayer um, meditation, Mm -hmm. writing. Um, I'm a huge fan of kundalini yoga, mainly for its spiritual dimensions. Um, reading, I try to read a lot of spiritual material. I find it very centering. And,
1: um, Mm -hmm.
2: even though most of it, you know, the wisdom is always the same. Um, but I, sometimes the message lands differently depending on who it's coming from. So like, I'm always reading, um, spiritual books. Um, I, I find that or an audiobook and that helps really center my spiritual practice, um, which is, you know, it tries in its highest expression. It is every moment of my life, you know, or like intermittently throughout the day, various things that I do to try to bring it back to, to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I I, I completely. I, 100%. I am, I'm on the same boat with you. I, everything's spiritual to me basically, which is why we started this podcast.
1: <laughs> I love also how, you answered first of all I'm like writing down word for word everything you're saying because <laughs> I'm just like loving it instead of taking it short I'm just like oh this is just great but um uh I love the way you spoke about spirituality being everything like including breakfast but I also love how quickly you were to talk about your spiritual practices um so it what I what that suggests to me is that having some sort of dedicated practice is an important part of how you like live and process your spirituality. Um, and so if I'm right, (laughs) I'm reading that right. Um, could you just speak a little bit to that idea of like practice and, and dedication and, and how that shows up for you within spirituality?
2: Well, for me, I feel like every day I try to do some reading, writing prayer and meditation. Um, you know, writing lets you sort out your thoughts and sort of see them and almost externalize them. Mm-hmm. And to me, any level of spirituality that you're going to achieve, you have to get past those, that thought, that thought layer. So like writing your thoughts down is almost like skimming the water. Um, and then, uh, prayer obviously is like talking to God, the universe, whatever your conception of a higher power or, um, the source of spirituality is mm-hmm. that, you know, that's you talking to, to that, um, and meditation is you listening Mm, yes 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 you know I actually want to add exercise to this as well I have always said to myself and anyone that will listen to me is that exercise is energy medicine and I really think that like we talk about body mind spirit as though they're different things I tend to have like a more unified idea of what that is um and to Mm. me um I can't really be caring for my spirit um if I'm not really caring for my body and um You know, exercise really lets me feel feelings and feel connected in a way that um, is not really possible any other way. I mean, we're physical beings.
0: Yeah. I Actually, you know, I just saw on your Instagram today, you were talking about how exercise for you isn't necessarily about aesthetics and, you know, how how you look, but it's so much more about how you feel and mentally as well.
2: Oh, yeah. It's like the greatest antidepressant that there is. Um,
0: Totally. I feel the same way.
2: I actually, um, I sort of bullied my husband into doing a workout this evening because I just felt like he really needed it and was down. He's not like, he's not the same kind of dedicated exerciser I am, but we're both working from home now and like here all the time. So okay. I'm trying to like, be a fitness bully a little bit.
1: You know, it's funny. I have been getting so many messages lately about like, honoring my body and exercising and moving my body, I have said many times before that I would be most comfortable being a head in the jar. Like I'm just not, (laughs) I, it's been a long, it's a long journey for me to actually like connect with my body. And so one of the ways that shows up is that I'm just like, just don't prioritize exercise. And in the world of, you know, quarantine, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I used to, you know, walk three miles during my commute. Right, like low key. I just was like moving all the time, and like my whole body is just (laughs) seizing up, and I can feel it. But I have, I just have so much. I'm, I'm working through the resistance to, to that. And so, what you're saying about like it being energy medicine resonates so deeply. And can I recommend a book? Oh my god, yes, please. the
2: body keeps the score. Have you heard of it? Yes,
1: I'm laughing because I'm like halfway through it right
2: now, and it keeps coming up. It really drives that home. You know, um, it's it's getting tension out of your body, but it's also accessing things that are stored in your body, emotional mm-hmm.
0: things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trauma. A lot yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. It's like that's a great one. Yeah. Um, okay, wait. So I'm very curious because you seem like someone who's very cur- spiritually curious and inclined. But you also said something to me when we were setting up this interview, which I was like, I want to learn more. You had said that drinking had blocked your spirituality. I'm not sure if those are, oh, yeah, did, but this is,
2: I, it's hard for me to talk about this because I don't want to sound judgmental. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to be very careful and just make it about myself. Yeah. Okay. Which is as a child, I was, I grew up Catholic and I was very spiritual and religious as a child. Um, you know, I've had, a that you know, when you hear evangelicals talk about like their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I feel like I had that as a child. Um
0: <laughs> Kylie Kylie can relate. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: didn't yeah. want to pierce my ears because I thought that's not what Jesus wants. Um, you know, I was a kid. So, and it was hard for me to lose that faith as I became like um mm. into my teens and it just doesn't Yeah. It just for a lot of people I think that a, a very organized codified religion like that with its obvious flaws like sort of falls apart and it, it gets devastating I mean it was devastating to me um and I, then I you know I went off to college I went to uh, NYU which is a very secular place um I think that people who had religious faith were marginalized and like even mocked in some circles um
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I, that was the time where I where when I started drinking also um and i do think that for me alcohol numbs m- numbed my body and soul um and i didn't really feel you know um the vibe of the universe let's just say like i didn't feel like that interconnectedness i didn't feel like there was something beyond myself um even when in retrospect i should have or could have you know um and then um I'm not sure how this book came into my hands, but I started reading Gabrielle Bernstein's um, "The Universe Has Your Back." I think mm-hmm. I got it out of the library. Yeah, um, I didn't really know a lot about her at that time. She's—I'm sure that your listeners know who she is. She's like kind of a spiritual pop, spiritual guru. There's something I think a little cheesy about her, and I'm embarrassed <laughs> to tell you. that no, I book get it. That, Like, really changed my life. But in the book, she said. And I'm very easy to advise. It's like if an author or a friend or somebody tells me what to do, I will typically give it a try. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think I was trying to find guidance in my career at that, Mm -hmm. at that moment. Like I wanted some kind of breakthrough into what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And she said, um, she writes in that book that you should pray to the Holy spirit and ask the Holy spirit what you should be doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that. Um, not believing it, but doing it anyway. Um, and you know, doing the excerpt, the writing exercises and the meditations and all the stuff the book has you doing. Um, And at the time it was January and I was doing a dry January. I always did a dry January for years before this. Um, But one night during this January, I was like, this isn't, I I don't need to be doing this. And so I had a couple of drinks that night, really just a couple of drinks, like Mm -hmm. a beer and then like a glass of wine at dinner or something. But alcohol always wrecked my sleep and I was up at 2am. And so I did what i always did which was i went into another room with the book i was reading and i was just started to read um and in that in that moment i felt like i i feel like i had a spiritual breakthrough when i got like a download that i was not going to drink anymore like it was like information transmitted to me from the holy spirit <laughs> that i was done drinking and it was a huge relief Whoa. um I've never really experienced anything like that in my life. Um, But since then I have felt far more in tune with a sense of my own spirit, other people's spirit, God, the universe, you know, um, I've been, it's just been like um, an avalanche of insights and sort of internal changes in myself. that, Like I actually almost never talked to anyone about, Um, but, yeah. So, but now I never. you
0: feel so honored to. Yeah, that's <laughs> that you would because you're you're very open about being you know, um, you know, as a person who doesn't drink. And we can talk. I want to talk about that more actually because I think that would be really helpful for our audience as well to hear more about your experience, especially very... in Very. This...
2: But like to answer the question, like it's so obvious to me now how like alcohol is a huge wet blanket on any kind of spirituality that you might wish to have. Or and I actually think alcohol can even blunt the awareness that you would wish for something like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a thousand questions. I love everything about your story. Um, But I want to, I want to back up just a moment because I feel like there's, I'm curious about the moment between kind of letting go of being spiritual and being at NYU and drinking and then picking up Gabby Bernstein's book, because I'm curious, like, of all the self-help books, right? Like, cause God knows I have them all. <laughs> that one is like overtly, as you said, like some of this pop spiritual person. And so was there a thread for you throughout that period where you were still like had like some resonance of the spirituality of your childhood or did it like kind of disappear? Like what what brought you back to, or what made you interested in a book so overtly about spirituality?
2: I think I've always had a strong interest in Um, Mm self-help going back to the Oprah times of like, you know, remembering your spirit. Um, I, you know, I used to read like um, all those books that would have on like her uh, Eckhart Tolle's books and like Gary Zukav's books. Uh, Although that was, I was like, I don't know, a little bit younger then. Uh, but I've always like considered myself like a little, a little woo woo. If that, you know what I mean? Like what I'm a, Freelancer, so it's like a crazy um in terms of like income, it's like a crazy wild west of like and a lot of my colleagues are also freelancers, and I have always said to them and myself, money can smell fear like i
1: mm.
0: money
2: is an energetic entity, and like if you become fearful like you're not gonna make any money like so relax about and so like that's the kind of woo that I never really lost touch with
1: mm-hmm.
2: um but I mean, I, went, I did. It has been like a an ever more wooish life for me. Yeah. I, became sober. <laughs> I just finished reading a book by a, um, this woman, Laura Lynn Jackson, who is a psychic medium called Signs.
0: Nice. <laughs> so, yep. You're in the right place. <laughs> yep.
1: Welcome to our home. We love having you here. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, when people. I was at a professional conference. I remember a couple of years ago, maybe one year after I, I stopped drinking and I was talking about this stuff and everyone got so uncomfortable. Um, I think I was talking about Rob Bell's podcast. I don't know if you all yeah I know Rob, know Bell, Rob yeah. Bell. And it was like, it did not go over well. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad that I have found some people that want to talk about it. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, this is all we ever want to talk about. Yeah. So.
0: And I don't know if I just live in maybe a smaller universe, but I think it's becoming more and more popular. Like I think it's becoming more mainstream.
2: Well, I mean, it's never been more urgent. Like, mm-hmm. is, if you don't have some sense of spirituality through this, like, how are you going to get through it? Oh, I know, you're going to be binge drinking.
0: Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. or not some finding some form of numbing, like right. whatever it, it may be for you. So that's why I think it's so wonderful that you're on this podcast now because I'm sh- I, I want to be able to share your experience with other people who are maybe stuck at home who are drinking more than they would like to be. And just maybe want so, want to hear someone else's experience of like how to navigate that, especially for people who may not consider themselves alcoholics, you right. know, like that's the other thing I want to get your opinion on it. It's like, you know, where do you draw a line between being an alcoholic or someone who just doesn't w- want to drink as much?
2: I have a lot of opinions on this topic. I have yeah. to say.
0: <laughs> love them all. Don't
2: interrupt me at any time. <laughs> okay, we, we will. <laughs> but alcoholic is a useless, meaningless term.
0: Mm. clinicians,
2: people who research alcohol, people who treat those with alcohol use disorder, do not use the word alcoholic. It just doesn't mean anything. Like you could have someone who is physically dependent on alcohol. You know, um, that person has a different problem than someone like I had, but um, we are both on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder, Mm. um, which most people who drink alcohol, in fact, are on that spectrum. Two thirds of people that drink alcohol exceed the low risk drinking guidelines. And a vast majority of those people are drinking more than they want to, or think that they should cut back or have tried to cut back at some time. Um, The other thing that I want to say is that this is a normal response to a toxic, addictive substance. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think that Alcoholics Anonymous has helped so many people. 12-step programs have a lot of great spirituality in in them. And um, I would never discourage someone from pursuing that if it resonates with them. Mm -hmm. But there's this idea in a lot of those programs that there's the normies who can have like a healthy relationship with alcohol and everyone else. That's, I think that is just not true. I just don't accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think that it is, it's normal to respond to an addictive substance by over consuming it. We would never say to someone about cocaine, you know, yeah, come on, you know, you should you should have the. You should be able to do this like everybody else.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: would never do that. Um. Alcohol yeah. has this special pass for
0: well, some reason. Yeah. Well, it's just so socialized. It's you know, the, it's so normal in our culture, which I didn't notice until I started dating an alcoholic, and I was like, "Wow, like your life is so different than mine because like you have this. It, it's just so normal for everybody. It just it's everywhere, everywhere that you go. No one questions it. You know, there's all these jokes about it. It's all right. Like, it's so funny when you actually start to notice how much of a part of our culture it is, so much so that if you don't have it, people make a fuss, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Which I would never tell anyone not to drink. I'm not a prohibitionist. Um, I don't want to see, like, alcohol-free, or I don't want to see, like, all bars be alcohol-free or whatever. I do like to see alcohol-free options when I go to a (laughs) restaurant. I do Mm -hmm. think that that's part of normalizing not drinking, which is sort of a it's been a quest of mine. Um, I just want to be able to feel like it's a normal choice to not drink because it is, you know, it's every bit as reasonable as not smoking cigarettes.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, what was it like for you? Like when you decided, okay, when you sort of had this, this download, as you say, I was like, you know what? I I'm done with drinking. What was it like for you? Did it feel easy? Was it like, okay, I'm done.
2: It was completely, it was like really something that had been turned over to God or the universe or something. It was like, I wasn't, was being cared for by something beyond myself. Um, That part was not hard at all. Um, I never want to drink. Like I never feel like it would be nice to drink.
0: Mm.
2: It's, um, I mean, like it really does feel like nothing short of a miracle to me. Like, so do you mean
0: like since that day you've never had a drink? Oh yeah. Oh my
2: gosh. Wow. It was like the desire to drink was shut off. Wow, I mean, like that's why people have said I have like a modest little following on Instagram, and people have been like, "You should start a program to help people not drink." And I was like, "I don't know what the program would even be. Pray—that's
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: all I have. Like,
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, pray yeah. that you
2: will have a visitation from the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night
1: and you not know, <laughs> wanting alcohol.
2: That's how I did it.
1: <laughs> One size fits all model, right there.
2: Yeah. yeah. I know some people really struggle and I sort of feel bad sometimes because that wasn't my experience. I struggled for many years before, you know, um, going back and forth to drinking and not drinking and like wanting to not drink and being stressed about it. But like once it happened, it happened,
1: you know. And and you alluded to before that once you were done drinking, um, I think you said it was an avalanche of insights. Oh, and yeah. I love that phrase. And that actually was my own experience as well. So I just, I'm curious if you could just speak more to, okay, so you have this moment, you have total clarity, you release the desire to drink or it's released from you. And then, and then what happens? Like, well, how does it, what, what does the next day feel like, you know, or what is, um, what does that avalanche that you described feel like?
2: Well, I think that, um, especially for like the first year, it was like, um, so much love for other people the Mm -hmm. people that had sort of been there for me and um the and there was this excitement over being able to have a much clearer sense of like who my people even were you Mm -hmm. know because when you drink it's hard to tell who you actually connect with um Mm -hmm. because it's all made fuzzy by alcohol um something that can seem fun in the moment or seem like this deepest conversation you ever had was actually gibberish, you know? <laughs> totally. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Or, or, like, you, or you have a relationship based on fun, which I think can be one thing, but fun, I had to learn the hard way, fun doesn't necessarily equal meaning. Fun doesn't necessarily equal like trust or, you know, like the, the real uh, like valuable stuff in a relationship.
2: I actually no longer even feel like drinking is fun. Like have you ever been to a trampoline park? That's
0: fun. <laughs> <laughs> we do actually have one around the corner from my house, but I don't know. I've always gotten alcohol scared that, like, don't drugs. Drugs. <laughs> <laughs> gonna kick me in the face.
2: It's <laughs> really fun, you know. Um, also, like, making art is fun. Um, mm-hmm. Dancing mm. is fun. Like, alcohol is not fun. It's just drugs. It's just like what we have when we become adults and become disconnected from our
0: innate ability to have fun. I think.
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah so my
0: my experience um yeah i think would, we should go around actually and talk about all yeah. our experiences. oh yeah that's yeah. a good I, I don't, yeah
2: i guess like i don't like to be nosy but i definitely want to know what your relationship yeah.
1: yeah. with yeah yeah i have an open book about my whole life in this podcast yeah. And
0: I think <laughs> our, our listeners probably want to know because i feel like we've referenced but kylie i know that you've kind of stopped drinking but i don't know the whole story so yeah I yeah would yeah
1: so um i had uh postpartum uh, anxiety with one of my, i have a son who's three a daughter who's one um and when my with both my kids, I had both part of my anxiety. Um, and when my when my son turned one. So <clears throat> I think I'm having a moment of how much to share. <laughs> um, so when uh throughout that experience, um alcohol was like something that was fun, that was there, right? Like in the world of being a new mom in which you're totally exhausted, it was a like, oh, here's a treat, right? Like have a oh have God. a beer. Mm -hmm. Right, like, um, and I'd always been someone who, like, I'm a huge extrovert, like, the last one to go home from any party, kind of a person, especially when I was younger. Um, But I always had a lot of friends who didn't drink. Um, That was always part. Like, my husband never has never drank. Um, I have a lot of friends who who don't really drink, so I had like a good mix. But anyway, when my son turned a year, um, I just had this moment where I could see clearly that if I didn't make some changes my life was gonna just keep accelerating at this same pace which was anxious and spread too thin and not really present and I like just felt like I had to get my shit together and alcohol was part of that it wasn't like I don't think from the outside I don't think anyone would have thought would have pegged me as having a quote-unquote problem with drinking because to your point right that like I wasn't at a far end of a spectrum, but I was totally numbing my. And I had a lot of rules for myself, like I never drank when I was sad. I never drank when I was um, angry. Uh, coming from a family of alcoholics, I was very like hyper aware. But I totally drank when I was anxious, and I have an anxiety disorder. So you can do the math, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I just like my son turned a year, and I was just like, I like I have to. I have to get my shit together and so I stopped drinking and it wasn't even like I'm never going to drink again it was just like right now I need to not drink and then I'll figure out what comes next and um then that space the universe came flooding in I mean like I'm having this podcast now because I stopped drinking Mm -hmm. you know I completely understand that I've been like, i totally so relate to your story of being someone who's been spiritually curious and connected and interested her whole life. But it wasn't until I let go. And I remember actually waking up in the middle of the night at a night that I'd had like two drinks, right? Like not a crazy amount. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and it was like, I literally heard the message, which I conveniently ignored because I didn't think that was a thing that happened. Now that's what I like try to do for a living. Uh, (laughs) But I literally heard the message was like, you're killing yourself. You have to stop. Like you have to stop. And I was like, that's bananas. I had one drink. Uh, and, um, and yeah, it has completely, completely, completely changed my life. I do identify more as being sober, sober curious. I've had like, I don't know, three drinks in two years or something like that. So like full disclosure, um, cause I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, which we can get into with that phrase and why I think what Some I think. Some people
2: can't handle never drinking again. Like, as an idea,
1: I think, yeah. I think I like you talked about being a rebel. I think there's a part of me that's like, I'm in control, like, I, you know. Um, but the most recent time, I was with two of my very best friends, and we were out, and I was like, Oh, I'm gonna get a beer. And then I was like, This is eh. like, okay, this I didn't like, whatever. It was such a neutral thing that I, in a way, I think it quenched my desire even further because I was like, Oh, this is like this is so irrelevant. I didn't need this at all. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so anyways, that's like, I kind of rambled a little bit, but I so relate to this idea that the space created by letting go of alcohol, just like my own intuition, my connection to the divine. And I think for me it's because as someone who has had a long history with anxiety, I have a lot of tools to numb myself and not be present. And alcohol was a big one. I have others. Like I totally have a, a, me and social media have an issue (laughs) but but I couldn't like I don't I think you have to be present to be spiritual Mm -hmm. and if and so all of the shit in your life that is keeping you from being present is blocking your connection to whatever you know you call god or divinity and for I think alcohol is a big one for a lot of us it was for me Yeah. yeah
2: I mean that removing alcohol allowed me to be um someone who meditated, for example,
1: mm-hmm.
2: someone who, um, could pray unselfconsciously, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. so that yeah. I hear all of that. Yeah. All right, your turn, Eva.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I think a very interesting history with alcohol, which is why, again, I was so happy to be able to have an opportunity to unpack this in the show. Cause I think this is something that everyone can probably relate to. Just everyone has some kind of relationship with alcohol, whether you don't drink or you drink or, you know, all of it. So, um, my mother was, is, was slash is a hardcore alcoholic. So that's already interesting enough. And also I'm now in a very serious relationship with a recovering alcoholic who's now six years sober. So like, it's interesting, the role that alcohol has played in the lives of people who I'm very close with. And then me myself was, a serious serious heavy drinker like hardcore partier all through my teens through my 20s and um, you talked about joy you talked about the spectrum earlier so i was like probably very far off on that spectrum of just like partying all the time like, do you know the bar McGlinchy's in in philadelphia yes <laughs> yeah, so of i spent so, like every single night there like knew you know knew the bartender knew the door guy like that kind of thing and me and my friends were pretty wild um and yeah, I spent a lot of time in my 20s being like, I'm drinking a lot and it's it just was became a part of my identity. And I felt like I, yes. I, I had to drink mm-hmm. also because it was so entwined in my social circle and we were just like such, we were hooligans back then. So it was just like what we did. Um, and then, you know, my 30s in New York, it was again, very social. But I think the tipping point for me was also when I made a huge change where I was just like, it was when I made a change in my career and decided to go for life coaching. And then I started like, you know, getting really healthy. And I moved from New York to Taiwan to go be with my, my parents. And then I, drinking just wasn't really an option anymore because first of all, like I didn't have any friends there. I didn't know the people there and I was living with my family. And I was so relieved. Relief mm. was how I felt. I was like, I don't have to drink anymore. I was like, oh my God, this feels completely freeing because there's- nice- a
2: real thing. Like this feeling like you're not allowed to not drink. I remember when my friends would tell me they were pregnant, what I would think to myself was, I'm so jealous, not of your coming baby, but of the fact that you get to have nine months off drinking and no one can say anything <laughs>
0: about it. Totally. Yeah. Because people are like there's the social pressure for sure. And people give you shit when you're not drinking sometimes. Well, depending on the crowd that you're running with. But you know, like I was even just talking to a friend yesterday about this and she's you know, she's trying to cut out alcohol and there are people who are just like come on, come on, like, you know, or, or you're no fun if you're not drinking. and mm-hmm. That can be the message that you get um, if you're hanging out with a lot of people who also, you know, really enjoy drinking. So it was such a relief. And I was very, 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 very fortunate because I know this isn't the case for most people, but again, it also wasn't hard for me. Like once I stopped, I was like happy just to not, not to not have it in my life anymore. And, um, and then I when I started dating Adam I was like a little bit worried because I was like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be strange dating someone who doesn't drink alcohol. And again, I found it to be a total blessing and I tell him this all the time. I'm like, I'm so happy you don't drink because I don't ever yeah. it just, it's nothing that I have to think about. We go out to dinner and I don't order drinks because it's just not something I have to like think about. I can order drinks if I want to. So I should say like I actually have, you know, no problem with people who drink and also I still drink on occasion, you know, if I want to like I don't know for whatever reason that might come up. Sometimes I'll still have a beer because I feel like I want it. But I think what feels so incredibly liberating to me is that it's no longer a compulsion or like something that I feel like I have to do. It's just something that I I can have it or I cannot have it. And Joy, like you were saying, some people are freaked out by the idea of saying like you can never drink again. And that would like not really make me bat and I'd be like, okay.
2: <laughs> I think um knowing yourself is really important mm. when it comes to alcohol. Um and actually everything, but like I am um When I was younger, my sister had a nickname for me, which was Joy Rules Manning. (laughs) Like, I really like black and white situations. Like, I would, it's much easier for me to have none than to have some.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, When it
2: comes to just sort of like everything in life, actually, like, um, I'm an abstainer. Um, Mm. In the Gretchen Rubin hierarchy of like how people, you know, she has all of these
1: I don't, I don't know, know about that. I know Gretchen Rubin, but I don't know this.
2: There's like all of these um, categories of people, like you know, abstainers versus moderators, and I'm definitely an abstainer. Um, yeah, it's easier just to have none. Right?
0: Yeah. You,
1: easier out.
2: to have none.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely a moderator because I, the second I the second it's not allowed, I'm like, where's the bag of chips? <laughs> like, um, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, I think I would say I'm a moderator too, which is a fucking miracle. It feels like a miracle because moder- doing anything in moderation is hard. I actually think- Yeah, that's why I, just- I don't even try. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's harder. That. Yeah, because I used to be just like either this or this or extremes, but I don't know. I think the fact that I just sort of naturally laid off booze made it so that it wasn't forbidden, but it wasn't also like I had, there just no rules around mm-hmm. it anymore. So I felt like a freedom to be like, okay, well, I'll have a drink if I want one. I'll have two yeah. drinks if I want one, and then I'll have none if I want. So that feels- I, I don't know where that came from. I think like, that's why I call it a miracle because I would have never yeah. thought that, you know, even like.
2: I do think miracle. though, there's this, a lot of people that wish that they're, they could be that way about alcohol mm-hmm. and can't be and have a yeah. really hard time accepting that. Um. Mm-hmm.
1: I think too, for me, I like, I did have an internal rule that I wasn't going to drink for a long time. It was a really long time before I was, again, and it's only happened like two or three times, but I was like at a dinner with a friend and I was like, oh, I could. This would be a really nice moment. I, I, I want some, want this. But, but even that. I think the neutral had to be like. So the there's this book. If anyone's curious about this particular topic, there's this book called Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. And I didn't actually even finish the whole book, but I really like the philosophy, because her whole idea is, what if, like, her whole idea. It's also very spiritual, but that not drinking becomes your neutral. So it's not moderate, because in a whole world where drinking is so normal and not drinking is so quote unquote weird, you can't, and it's an addictive substance, you can't really decide, (laughs) like play it by ear and fly by the seat of your pants, especially when you're in the process of trying to recalibrate your relationship to alcohol. And so like, like for me, getting to a place where like, the neutral is that I just don't drink. And like, it has to like really, really ping for me pretty loud. And i want to say at this point, I think I'm done. I actually think I'm done with that too, but I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can't, in my experience, you can't renegotiate your relationship with something that's so entrenched and so addictive and so numbing without like really fully taking a break and then coming does
2: that do that make sense? Yeah, to I, I used to think that 30 days was enough of a break. It's not enough of a break. You mm. can't really get the all the benefits. And also, you have to. Uh, this is something I'm like always trying to explain to people that like you have to break the neural connect networks
1: mm-hmm. that
2: like cluster drinking with these other things that you enjoy. Right. Mm. I love. I'm a food writer. I love restaurants, and when I stopped drinking alcohol it was weird for my brain to be in a restaurant with all of those sensory cues and, you know, Mm. the sounds and the smells and the experience getting handed the menu and everything. And like, because the part of my brain that had been trained to get dopamine in that situation Mm. was not getting it. Mm. And I had to like repeat that over and over and over, over a long period of time to break that connection, you know, and now I'm free from it. And that doesn't happen in 30 days. That takes, yeah
0: longer that's such a good point yeah the connections that people have with like you said eating and also like hanging out with friends people associate any social situation right with like with drinking or celebration of some sort you know right or
1: loneliness or boredom or being stuck in your house because there's a global pandemic
2: (laughs) (laughs) the miracle of not drinking though is you get to know you get such clarity on where you should be what you like what you want to be doing you know like that to me it's a huge gift um Mm. Parties with lots of people standing around drinking as the activity—that is not a thing that I ever should have been doing. That's not mm. fun for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it is, and I actually still love parties because I'm yeah. a massive extrovert, and and I realized that the alcohol part of it was irrelevant. And 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 actually, I wanted to say something. I'm curious to know what you think about this, but you mentioned earlier, like it came up about the difficulty of saying no to drinking in a world where people give you so much shit, and I found when I decided to stop drinking after my son turned one, I owned that decision so completely. I didn't ever tell anyone like my, actually like my husband and like my best friend. I didn't like announce it, but I felt like I so internalized that decision that I didn't feel like you said something earlier, like money can smell fear. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's making me think of this, like the energy of my, unwillingness to have alcohol was so complete that no one gave me a single ounce of shit at all and ever has. But there were times earlier in my life where I would be like,
0: maybe I'm just going
1: to like secretly stop drinking for a little while. And like people gave me shit. And so I do think that there's something about just like totally fucking owning and like embodying and like just feeling deeply the power of your own decision to not drink. Uh, One of
2: of the the craziest things that happened to me is I, you know, I started this Instagram feed mainly as a place where I could go to look at other people not drinking, right? I had this mm. one, I created this second Instagram account that I was gonna stop mm. with all sober people. And I think this is another thing that sort of helped me step into my spirituality and um, which is like being of service to other people. I didn't expect this to happen, but people kept reaching out to me to talk about not drinking. And mm. I would drop everything to meet with them privately, you know, and um just wow. share my experience and just sort of like hold their hand and um, you know. Make myself available to them to like if they needed a pep talk or whatever, and um I found that very spiritually satisfying, like Mm. um, being able to you know support other. I mean, and I should say women. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think there's been a time where a man has reached out to me, but like I think women are in especially weird and unpleasant place when it comes to alcohol. So like that's really who I feel called to um, Mm -hmm. help. Um, you know, so. I don't know. I think there is something about the energy of not drinking that can like carry you through a lot of um, things and take on un- things that might have been unpleasant, like people giving you shit about not drinking and turning them into something that can actually be like almost a higher calling in a way, you know, which yeah. is, has been super satisfying to me, like one of the most satisfying parts of my life in these past three years. Wow.
1: Yeah. Can can I want. I- <laughs> oh, well, Are we going to ask the same question right
0: now? <laughs> Let's see. You go. We'll see
1: uh you said that women you think are in a particularly uh strange place when it comes to alcohol and not drinking and i'm uh i'm curious to hear more about that
2: well i feel like as a mom you almost are more of an expert than i am because you probably see much more how like mommy culture and wine culture have become intertwined in a very in my opinion toxic way um it's especially hard on moms but all Mm -hmm. women get this messaging like uh johnny walker in a pink bottle and like Mm. um the notion that like women can be and should be drinking like the men and um every high power woman we see on tv is like has a comically huge wine glass like at her side it's almost (laughs) like a power accessory you know
0: Um, Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting yeah it's just like
2: being sold hard to women and women do not metabolize alcohol the same way as men you know i i think that it's i think women have just been sold a bill of goods when it comes to alcohol we were i think i'm a little bit older than you all but i was like in my 20s when sex in the city was like all the rage mm-hmm. and um i think from then on it's been a constant hypnotic marketing assault that like alcohol is part of having a good being the, a good life like right or mm-hmm. a fabulous glamorous
0: life yeah, yeah. having
2: mm-hmm. having arrived like
0: you know, it's just yeah. sold
2: to us in the media relentlessly.
0: Oh, yeah, like but that Mad thing too. It's like having, yeah, yeah like having a, a nice glass and, and being a power and that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: and that- then it becomes self-care, right? It, that like wine is, is self-care. Is self-care. Care. And right, and it's, it's actually, you know, I think in my experience was numbing and was worsening my anxiety. So it was the opposite of self-care for me.
2: Right, and I, I, I think for most people, um, yeah. you know, there's a reason why alcohol makes anxiety worse. Like it mimics the sedation hormones in your brain and in your body. And like you're you're always trying your brain always wants to be in balance. So like as it gets like those um relaxation um, you know, transmitters go up, the agi- like the agitation, being on alert, those transmitters go up and then the alcohol drops swift swiftly and you're left with all of that leftover surging like on mm-hmm. high
1: alert mm-hmm. neurotransmitters
2: that make you that's what makes your heart go racing in the middle of the night you know
0: oh I did not know yeah, that. I didn't know that either <laughs> <laughs> well I want to hear more about so yeah your experience with um creating better without booze which is the Instagram account you're talking about and also yeah like what were the people coming to you for and I think it's interesting that you're saying that they are coming to talk to you like privately because it was a oh, that yeah.
2: Well, people would pop up in my direct messages and be like, oh, I've been really inspired by what you've been talking about and what you've been doing, especially being in the food space. It's like a very drinky mm. space, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and they've, you know, have just been like, can I talk to you about this? And I, I'm like, yes, anytime, let's talk about it. And then a lot of times it's just really what it boils down to is just them saying alcohol is making my life worse and not better. And I want it to be out of my life. Mm-hmm. But I, I, it has been hard for me to imagine that's possible. You've helped me see that that's possible. Help me see that more. <laughs> Do you yeah. Know? Like, that's yeah. really yeah. what it is. And yeah. I, I think that's key. I, That's why like, people are entitled to be private about alcohol. But if you feel called to share your experience with other people, I think that's a net positive for women, especially mm. because when we see other people go before us down this path, it just reinforces the idea that it is possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't... <sighs> It's interesting to look at just my life now. Now it seems not so, I feel like I said, a lot more free around alcohol, but you're right in that seven years ago, I probably would have been like, I couldn't probably imagine my life without yeah. alcohol. So I can see people being like, it's a foreign idea to a lot of people and also this kind of scary idea. Like, how am I going to live my life? What's my life going to look like without it? Right. Right. Yeah. I
2: thought that I would never have fun again. And what <laughs> I wish that I could have explained to myself, I remember on my 35th birthday, um, like basically just spending the whole day drinking. Like, and I was like, Mc- I haven't been to the McGlinchey since grad school. Like I was a mm. fancy drinker. Like I went to <laughs> fancy places and had fancy glasses of wine and like mm-hmm. fancy cocktail bars, with, you know. Anyway, so it was like brunch, lunch, dinner, like all fancy booze. And I remember having a sense of like, is this what fun is now? Is this like all, all it is? Mm.
0: Um, yeah. Almost like a settling, right? Cause we like forget that there's, like you said, there are so many other things out there that can make us feel more alive. Other things that are like truly, I think fun, like truth. I don't know how to describe it. It just feels like, um. like fun that makes you feel alive. I think fun should make you feel like really really ooh, alive. Love that.
2: Well, also to the the point of this podcast, which, and what I was, I feel like I haven't been able to explain well, how I became much more spiritual after I quit drinking. But here's like a very common thing that happens to me now being sober. I'm walking on the street and I see a bird in a tree, like tweeting and flapping its wings. And like, I feel it physically in my chest, Mm. the joy of the bird. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, look at that birdie. That (laughs) never happened to me when I was drinking, but never Mm. one time. (laughs)
0: and I'm over here
1: like for the listeners I'm over here like legit tearing up because I also can feel the birdie in my heart
0: (laughs) no but that's so true. So why do you think that is though because I think you're so right I think I
2: know why it is there's a very good scientific explanation for this actually like when we start drinking this is like a powerful release of dopamine even if you're only drinking one or two drinks right and it's artificial there's nothing in the natural world that produces a surge of, of dopamine like that so you your brain is like tyrannical and it doesn't, anything that doesn't deliver that much dopamine is no longer fun. So like, um, once you train your brain, once you sort of like get that experience is cleared and your brain has like forgotten what that's all about. Now you get back in touch with the real deliveries, like the natural dopamine, like the Mm -hmm. natural things that are pleasurable and fun. I feel like it's almost like childlike um, because you return to like that state of that's what sobriety is in a lot of ways it's like putting your brain like Annie do you guys know Annie Grace she wrote an incredible book called The Snaked Mind which Mm -hmm. is about um, Mm -hmm. it's about quitting alcohol basically but like it is it is you you sort of reset your your mind and you have these experiences that are profound, like profoundly joyful, authentically joyful in a mm-hmm. way that alcohol that was pretending to be, but could never hold a candle to. And it robs you. It robs you of this experience. And like, when I want to talk about my spirituality, and sobriety, That's what I'm trying to talk about. Like the, mm. the excitement and the joy about the bird that had been lost to me for decades, you know? Uh,
0: yes. Wow. That's so beautiful. Honestly, you're blowing my mind because everything you're saying makes absolute sense like of course almost like of course that makes sense but I'm one I'm hoping that people this can resonate with people because it's like yeah when you have that much of a high through alcohol you're just gonna be chasing that and then you can't just get like you you have to constantly be going for something extreme and then you miss an artificial yeah an artificial so you're tolerating High and anything less than just feels like eh, like whatever. And I think I used to. You're you're putting words to something that I didn't know that I used to feel in my twenties, which was actually what I call cynicism. I was like people who felt that kind of aliveness for life. I was like I was like you're annoying. You're cheesy. It is cheesy,
2: but it's great.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. It is great once you feel it. By the time I wasn't feeling it, because I was like, well, this person's just a big old cheese ball. And then now that I feel it, I'm like, like you're explaining to me why. I'm like, oh, oh, I understand why now. So this feels kind of profound for me so the thing that I try
2: to tell people is like I thought that nothing would be fun without alcohol what I didn't understand is that everything would be fun without alcohol and it would be more fun and it would be mm -hmm. real fun you know
1: Mm -hmm. and it's hard to
2: it's hard to explain that to someone who's like on the other side of it it's almost something I do say to people sometimes you just have to trust me (laughs) like you just have to trust me that you will feel this way
1: it's also if I'm being honest making me think about uh my phone and social media And because one of the big things for me that I realized when I stopped drinking was that uh, I think Brene Brown says that she had like the poo-poo platter model of addiction. Like it was like a little bit of everything. And that resonates with me so hardcore. Like a little bit of too much time on social media, a little bit of too much shopping, a little bit of too much emotional eating, and a little bit of too much alcohol. And so spread out nice and thin no one from the outside would see that I had a problem and I could like keep telling myself that it was fine because everything was like in some version of moderation. And, um, so when I, you know, acknowledged that I needed to stop drinking, I also saw plainly like, oh, in the online shopping at Amazon at like 12 o'clock at night <laughs> and, uh, and, um, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, I think I have a much better relationship with all of these things except in this especially right now in this moment of like social distancing and quarantine my social media and time on my phone is like through the roof and everything you're saying about like the dopamine high and everything else kind of being lackluster in comparison I'm like oh that's why I have to stop checking for likes so that's a pr-
2: it's a pretty powerful delivery system as well
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: maybe not as much as alcohol but definitely potent
1: yeah yeah um, anyway, sorry for my own overshare, but I was just having a big lightbulb moment of like, okay, girl. Like,
2: <laughs> do you all know Brooke Castillo of the Life Coach School podcast?
0: Yes, yes, I'm a huge, 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 huge fan.
2: Love, love, love everything about that podcast. But she talks about these behaviors as buffering, which I feel like mm. is accurate.
0: Yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, people who don't know.
2: Yeah, the idea is like. Um, Drinking, overeating, over Instagramming, um, shopping, gambling like, whatever it might be is like a way to you for you to not feel how you feel, it's like buffering your experience. Um, and I think being aware of those things is sort of the first step to, um, you know, getting free of them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, can I ask you a little bit more about the bird, right? So, this moment where Like now you have these moments of like transcendent joy and I guess I'm just curious to know how that propels you forward and kind of shapes your life. If that, if that makes sense.
2: Um, I mean, it is definitely something that I'm aware of and um, I try to appreciate it. I mean, um, I also read, um, Gabby Bernstein's most recent book, um, which is called super attractor. And in it she talks a lot about the power of feeling good and why mm. we should make it a goal for ourselves to feel good. So that's, I agree with that. And I think that leaning into those moments is uh, something I consciously do now. Um, mm. you know, so to really like feel the pleasure of like seeing my niece's loose tooth or like, um, noticing how handsome my husband is or, um, just like how delicious some vegan taco I made is, you know, like, and just sort of like relishing in the pleasure of life. Like that's a worthy way to spend your time. You know,
1: Mm. I think you,
2: I think it creates more resources internally for you to share with the world and with other people. It's not just like a hedonistic approach to life.
0: Totally. I 100% agree with that preach 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 yeah. to all the women out there well i mean to everybody but i also think i think it's such such a helpful reminder that like this isn't a selfish endeavor and it doesn't just benefit you anything that benefits you also benefits your community and I like i'm
2: really that. into kundalini yoga and meditation and i actually feel like it's a way to help the world i feel like the more people that are meditating and um trying to connect with the with their spirituality and the notion that we are all one
1: that's mm. we're going
2: to bring more peace um less suffering to the to the planet um so i I do think that's true
1: can i ask you actually to speak to a little bit about kundalini yoga because i know a little bit about it but mostly my yoga practice well mostly my yoga practice is non-existent at the moment but when i do it
0: It's more traditional uh, American yeah, I would American love to learn about, um, about it, too. I've so heard wonderful things, but I don't know what the difference is between Kundalini and... Let
2: side. me preface this by saying this is the worst possible moment to fall in love with Kundalini Yoga because there's a huge...
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh, there it's, is.
2: Yeah, the founder of Kundalini... No, I shouldn't say that. The The person who brought Kundalini Yoga to the U.S. turns out to have been like a rapist scumbag oh,
0: creepster. Oh, no. Yeah, another one of those situations. Yeah, okay. um,
2: which doesn't surprise me that much like a lot of men who like come into these powerful positions like end up abusing their power and I personally though have gotten so much out of the practice and my own teacher has taken certain steps um to separate the the practice from sort of the cult of personality around Mm -hmm. yogi bhajan um so I I just wanted to say that first like I know that a lot of people are there's, I know there's this dust up in the kundalini yoga world, but like I have always considered myself, I know the benefits of meditation, but until I got into kundalini yoga, I found I I was sort of a failed meditator. I had done a mindfulness-based stress reduction program and like a different mindfulness meditation training program at the local hospital. Um, and I just couldn't make it stick. Um, And now that I have been practicing Kundalini regularly for um, a few months, before that it was like something that I would dip in and out of, I realized that like what didn't work for me about those programs was they were like stripping the spirituality out of meditation. And like I really needed it to be in there in order for it to become resonant, effective, desirable, like something that I could make a habit out of. Mm -hmm. Um. And the other thing was, like, if you are trying to make yoga be exercise, kundalini is not really your yoga. Like, there's, you do some physically challenging things in yoga and kundalini, but it's really more about the spirituality, the meditation, the chanting. And when the poses do become challenging, it's really, like, psychological, if you know what I'm saying. Like, in kundalini, you do, like, I sort of think of them as stress positions. There are these times where you, like, hold your arms up for, like, seven minutes or nine minutes or eleven minutes or twenty one minutes and it hurts, you know. Yeah. Um but it's really about it's something it's designed to draw you into into yourself, you know? Um and how and it's it's supposed I think that it for me it shows me how I want to respond to challenges, you know,
1: mm-hmm. or where
2: my thoughts go when I'm in, in, in a challenge. Position in a physically uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And That's for self observation. Yeah, looking at the thoughts that are coming up, you know. So I personally um, find it in, invaluable in terms of managing my anxiety, feeling connected to a, a, the universe. Um, and I do think there's a way to practice Kundalini, um, which has a tradition that goes back, you know, much longer in India than it does in the United States. Um, and to not like idolize somebody who is like a disgusting creep i personally think yeah. that's possible
1: yeah yeah that too it sounds like you've had really profound experiences with the practice and like no- nothing can take away your own experience oh
2: yeah. yeah kundalini yoga it's not uncommon for people to say that they you do the whole practice with your eyes closed it's all very mm-hmm. like internal and you can feel like you're floating you can feel like you're you've turned in a circle and you've stayed still like it's you you feel almost like there's a lot of breath work. Mm-hmm. As well, you have like a sense of euphoria. Like yeah. people have visions. It's it's incredible. You should try it.
1: I mean, I'm sold. Yeah, I'm like, me too. <laughs> In particular, I also really love what you said about like um, like i you know some approaches to meditation stripping the spirituality away and that that being part of why it doesn't stick for you. For
2: me, I mean, that's the only thing that lets it stick for other
1: people. So, you know, we need different paths. And that's, it just made me think of two things, which is one, like some types of meditation are very prevalent in America. And I think it's worth remembering that there are like hundreds of meditation practices. And so if you feel drawn to meditation. But you haven't found one that works for you. Like, let Joy's story <laughs> yeah. be a reminder that, like, just keep looking. Find the meditation practice that lights you up. Right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to feel like
0: brushing it's, your teeth yeah. There's surgery. no, there's no like one right way.
2: In yeah. between the time I of my hospital mindfulness-based stress reduction training and my uh, really like committing to Kundalini, um, I was thinking about doing TM meditation,
1: mm-hmm. which is,
2: um, you know, it's for anyone who might meditation. not know, it's a it's a form of meditation where you, it's a mantra-based meditation, but it's expensive. You have to like pay a guru to like give you your own secret mantra. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think it's like $2,000 or something. And I was really thinking about doing it at one point, but I interviewed this, this academic who researches mindfulness and meditation as his, you know, that's what he does. Um, And so I said to him, basically, like after I was done interviewing, like, I was like, do you think it's worth it? The $2,000? Like, you I should go for it. And he said, there's a thousand ways to meditate. You'll know it when you find the one that's yours.
1: Mm. So, yeah. I love that. I love that so much. I also feel like the thing that you're saying in a couple different ways is also like about Yogi Bhajan and about not paying $2,000 to get a mantra. Although I know people who like love transcendental meditation and it changed their life. So I'm not I'm not opposed to that. Like again. I'm uh,
2: not even ruling it out for myself. I'm just yeah. <laughs> like, making
0: that to me at the time.
1: But I think um I think what I hear you saying is like we are our own authority. Like I feel that that's the story that you're telling, right? Is like that Yogi Bhajan can be a creep, but your own authority has found a practice that speaks to you and is transcendent and important. It's right. separate from the guru. You uh, always I, have
2: to look, look inside your, yourself, yeah. you know? That's another thing I found it difficult to do with alcohol in my life.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, okay, so I want to be mindful of time because I know at some point, Joy, you got to I know. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I could ask you questions forever. Um,
2: I love okay. sleep so much as a sober person like, because <laughs> yeah. alcohol wrecked my sleep for so many years.
0: Like, it, It's very important to me. Yeah, and sleep is again. That's another thing we can talk about forever. Just how important that is to your mental health and your psyche and all that. Um, okay. Well, can I ask one more question though? In yes, terms of, yes, okay, um, I think again for the people out there who might be at home, uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe struggling with thinking that they're drinking too much. Maybe they want to drink less. I think my last question is more like, oh, well, okay, I'm going to ask a couple of questions kind of together. Um, I think I guess I wanted to get a better sense of your how your life changed after you stopped drinking. I know you felt more joyful and all of these things, but also what about your social life, you know, like were you worried that that wasn't gonna be as vibrant? Did you like have to lose friends? And also you talked about being a, you know, you're a food writer and you're very active in the food world. So like, was it hard to integrate into your life not drinking anymore or did you feel like you kind of rebuilt anew?
2: Well, um, let me start with the social life part. I feel like I was preparing my social life to not drink for years before I stopped drinking. Um, I remember at one point one of my um, closest friends and my podcast co-host said to me, um, I need to introduce you to so-and-so because she loves drinking and so do you. And even in the moment, I was like, that's not what I need. I want to hang out with more people like you and less people like that. Um, I was like, how, so I started to, and I might've even said that to her at the time, but I started to pull people into my life that either didn't drink at all or drank very little. Um, I'm introverted. So like, I don't like to go to a party like a loud and crowded bar is not a place that I want to be at all. Um, So I was creating the network that I needed before I needed it. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I stopped drinking, it really, was not a huge deal in that respect. Um, I also started to like pursue what I think of as sober adjacent activities like Kundalini, where you meet people that just have other interests, like interests that aren't super compatible with alcohol. Um, Mm -hmm. I got super into fitness. I've always loved fitness, but like, um, you know, I currently have two gym memberships. Like I love the people that I go work out with. Like that's like a different um, avenue in my life that i it, I didn't have before and I also started to like just take charge of th- to create the social events that I wanted to have if that makes mm. sense like yeah I was just like take a like be a leader and like let's all go learn how to make vegan cheese from this amazing chef or like let's all get together at my house for a non-alcoholic happy yeah, hour yeah for but like
0: game night or something yeah that's right so, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: um so that was not that big of a deal for me um I was afraid that I would not um that I lose assignments, like as a food writer, because like a lot of times, even with recipe development, you're asked about wine pairings or whatever. But what surprised and delayed me was it actually opened up this whole new avenue of assignments that, cause I now write about this a lot. Like mm. th- there's a trend towards um, better non-alcoholic drinks in restaurants. There's an incredible American craft, non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic beer movement. That is like, if you only had something like O'Doul's like you have no idea what non-alcoholic beer is like a lot of it is very good now. Um, Brooklyn Brewery, which has terrific beers of all kinds, has this new non-alcoholic beer called Special Effects that is excellent. Like it could go toe-to-toe with any of their other beers, I would think. Um, So anyway, now I write about all that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just sort of like carved a new lane for me.
0: I love this. I think so. I want, because I'm speaking, I think too, I have a couple of friends who have stopped drinking or want to stop drinking. And I just want to speak to the audience out there. Like your life after not drinking, it doesn't end. You start, it's not, it's like it doesn't just end, I think it, it gets exponentially, it can get exponentially better and new doors open. It's like they people say when one door closes, another one opens. I've never
2: talked to anyone who quit drinking that was like, it wasn't worth it. Sobriety, <laughs> overrate it. <laughs>
0: never. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's one of the best decisions I've ever
0: made in my whole life. Yeah. And it's also, yeah, finding your peeps. You just got to find your people and they are 100% out there. So yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And whatever you're doing together is typically going to be more meaningful from a connection perspective when alcohol is not the center of it, yeah.
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
2: <laughs> I want to ask more questions,
1: but I know you have to go to bed. So I just, we'll just have to have you on again, because I yeah. just... Like seriously, I just have like, I'm taking notes because I just feel so inspired and, and, and thoughtful on all, on your perspective. And I'm so grateful for what you came to share with us. I really
2: appreciate having the opportunity to talk about it because I, did you all read the book, The Power? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. The Power Mm is a, is a novel and it's like set in an alternate universe where women have the power to like pass hand to hand to each other the it's like a physical deathly power to like annihilate men it's like it's futuristic it's science fiction (laughs) but they pass they pass this tremendous power to one another by like touching their hands together basically and I feel like sobriety is like that you know I feel like I have been able to hand off this amazing power to, to women one woman at a time so anytime I get to talk to like more women I feel like it's for the greater good of all of us. So I really appreciate you all giving me
0: that chance to do that today. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Thank you. This was such a freaking gift. You have just, yeah. I think, yeah, uh, opened up my eyes and put words to things that I didn't know I needed words to. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, okay. So the last question that we end with, we'll this will quick, make a quick one is what's something that's bringing you joy right now?
2: Vegan home cooking. <laughs>
0: awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: Great. We're right. all at home a lot. And I think that every, even people that don't normally cook a lot are cooking a lot now. And, um, you know, I have really been getting a lot of enjoyment out of trying new recipes and making just like delicious, wonderful vegan stuff for my husband and I. And uh, my favorite cookbook that I've been using is called Cool Beans. It's all about beans um, by Joe Yonan. Uh, so yeah. if you're looking for, a, you know, a book, to, a cookbook to inspire your quarantine cooking
0: because really awesome. cool. we
1: all have lots of beans yeah so, yeah so that's perfect <laughs> we'll add that in the show notes yeah. yeah what about
0: you kylie anything come to mind for you um so
1: my mom has um she did her 14-day quarantine and we did our 14-day quarantine and so she came to help us with the kids and working and Oh my God. I could cry just talking about it. I'm just so grateful to have her here. And like, I always like to my mom, I love my mom, but, um, when there's a pandemic (laughs) and your mom and you're like really freaking overwhelmed, working full time and raising a three-year-old and a one-year-old and your mom shows up, uh, this is one of the greatest gifts in the entire world. Um, and so, yeah, I just feel, and this weekend, um, my in-laws also had, like, hit their 14-day period, and so on Sunday, uh, my in-laws and my mother and my kids, my husband and I all had this feast that we made. We made, um, and and we, oh, my God, I just, it was the most beautiful, it was the most beautiful thing, and I always feel grateful for my family, and I always feel grateful that we get to be together, but, like, just.
0: I mean, yeah, it's nothing like you after separation for so long, and, yeah Yeah. like appreciating the extra help and all that yeah
1: yeah so I just have deep 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 gratitude for the people in my life and my community and being able to sit around the same table with them and eat some food so it's
0: beautiful Um, all right how about you for me uh well I was thinking about it I feel like it's a general answer I just I just feel like it's really my spiritual practice which I feel like seems kind of like a Something I talk about all the time, but it's been so rele- clearly obvious to me how my spiritual practice has informed how I'm moving through this pandemic. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's everything. I think it's like my routines, it's my faith in something bigger than myself. It's bringing myself back into the present moment. Like it's really just helped me. I think years ago, I don't know how I would have been, <laughs> but now I feel yeah. really like I can serve and stay centered and that feels really grounding and feel a lot of gratitude for that that's my thing i love it i love it (sighs) thank you all right joy so where can the people find you can you share with us all your all the things
2: sure um come find me on instagram at better without booze it's just you know one word all one word um And you can look at the people I follow there if you want to follow lots of Sober accounts too, as I needed to. Um, and I also have a website, betterwithoutbooze.com with like some thoughts and, you know, recommendations. Um, if you want to um, follow up on my food writing and my recipes and my yummy vegan dinners, you can follow me at Joy Manning on Instagram. Um, you won't see any booze there either, but it's not, <laughs> my feed there is, you know, not as perfectly curated to be alcohol-free. Yeah.
0: And what about your podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: my podcast. <laughs> I make a podcast about home cooking called Local Mouthful. Um, my uh, friend and a fellow food writer, Marisa McClellan, who is the creator of Food in Jars, which is a wonderful canning and preserving um, hub, um, we talk every week about recipes, tips, um, you know, resources, ideas for home cooks. So if you're into cooking, come join us there
0: yeah i listened to an episode it was so delightful and just <laughs> do you like to cook i do like to cook yeah okay. but it's like also you know like compact like uh com- i will not say edible but like compact they're not super long it's just like you get all the information that you need and then it's great Very yeah accessible. i will
2: i will say that if you like to cook you'll you'll probably be into it but if you don't like to cook you're not going to be into it um <laughs> <laughs> we do try to pack i i think it's I, i've heard that some people think cooking is boring but like not us um
1: uh, yeah so. yeah yeah. I mean, same thing. If you think spirituality is boring, <laughs> then you're not gonna not the show for you. So <laughs> yeah. um
0: Yeah. yeah. So. You gotta find your find your peace, find your people, find your yeah. All right. Well that's it from us, right? Kylie, anything yeah. else? Uh, you can find us
1: if you like this show, uh, please rate and review, um, share an episode with a friend, um, maybe share an episode with a friend who's, who's thinking about their relationship to alcohol. Um, and, um, you can follow the podcast at hello universe pod on Instagram. I am at Akasha grace. And And I'm at bad bitch living and And all of the wonderful references, uh, and books that joy referenced are in the show notes. So you can easily find them.
0: All right. Thanks, Mm -hmm. everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.